0: yes, I, I have traditional career experience or I'm trying to go about politics in a traditional way, um, but nothing about me reflects our current politicians other than the fact that maybe I want their job one day.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Culture Podcast from ArchRival. What is Arch Rival? Hey, glad you asked. We are a youth culture agency that reinvents how brands win the hearts and minds of young adults every day. We're out there talking to teens on behalf of our clients. The conversations, honestly, they're amazing. They're insightful. They're so fascinating. We said, let's start this podcast to share it with you. My name is Clint Runge, and for over 20 years, I've been helping brands relate to and talk to a new generation of young consumers. What we hear, it helps our clients, but honestly, it helps anyone who wants to relate to and talk to young adults, including parents with kids. Joining me today, as always, is Julia Peterson, who's part of our Insights team. Hello, Julia.
2: Hello. How's it going?
1: Great. What's on the docket today?
2: Yeah, we have so many things to talk about today. Um, Number one, the New York Times released a crazy article, I'm sure you saw this, about like AI and deep fakes and how that whole area is being pushed even further. And it was mind blowing. So definitely want to talk about that. Uh, Also, there's some things shifting in fashion. Uh, Obviously, secondhand has been kind of a topic of conversation for a long time, but we're just seeing it kind of grow leaps and bounds, so we want to get into that as well. Um, There's a conversation happening on social media about fact-checking as Twitter kind of leans into these new features that it's unveiled. Um, Should that be a thing? Should it not? And then lastly, we will also be talking about HBO Max. This is actually kind of a follow-up to something we talked about before. We we got a bit more information on how HBO Max is going to be um, partnering with different uh, production companies to release movies.
1: Huge. Um,
2: Yes. And then also, we have a special guest that will be appearing on the podcast this oh. week. Uh, her name is Elle, and she's the Director of Communications for the Gen Z GOP. So I think she's going to have a fascinating perspective kind of as we move into this next era of American politics on where that party is headed.
1: Totally. I cannot wait. I have some questions. I, I think she's the perfect person to answer them. I know you have a bunch as well. Yeah. Th- that's going to be an amazing conversation. Yes. So excited. Okay. Of all the things you just went through, Can I tell you what I want to start with? What I think is the one. Okay, this New York Times article on deep fakes. I'm sure our listeners have read this article because it just it went everywhere so fast. It is mind blowing. It's still blowing my mind, and it's like a week after I've read it.
2: I know it's it's honestly like a little bit scary to me, but it's also just fascinating that we have technology that can be that sophisticated and do what it's doing. Does it scare you? Absolutely. And you know what? What's weird is like I don't even know if I can articulate why the idea of being able to just like generate faces scares me so much. But there's just something about it that feels – I don't know. Does it scare you?
1: Well, I i don't know if it – I don't think it scares me. But I think what it's made me think about and maybe what is what you're thinking about or at least some people might be – is like at the end of the day, are we just math? Like <laughs> all of this are new people. Like it feels like, you know, like – you're playing a god of some sort and you're inventing people. It's like, oh, maybe are we just math? Is that what this is coming down to? Yeah.
2: Well, and I also think like there is, my mind goes to a place of like, how will I know (laughs) when i am (laughs) encountering one of these beings and when I'm not? Like there was a line in that article where they talked about like, I think it was a question that they posed, like do these faces look like something that you would find on a dating app? And I was like, 100%. How would you ever know that you were swiping on someone who wasn't real. Like, that blows my mind.
1: What What is Gen Z thinking about this? I know you talk to him all the time. What What are some of the comments we're hearing there?
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like... This is it's definitely like a step further than we've ever seen before, but they are no stranger to kind of this like weird gray area of people being real, but not real. You know, we've talked about virtual influencers, I yeah. think, on the podcast before. Um, they've they've known social media accounts of people who aren't real and have followed them and really enjoyed engaging with that kind of content. Um And we've seen deep fakes go into meme territory where they are the ones actually creating, you know, these bits of content that never happened. Um, So it's definitely not a new idea to them. Um, But we do see them talking about that feeling of confusion, kind of struggling with that feeling of like almost trust. How will I know, you know, as technology gets better and better, how will I know when I'm engaging with something that's not
1: real? It's almost like as you go generation to generation, you can just see the movement of this, where it's like, this is weird, right? Yep. If you're older, it's like, your genetics are like, this is weird, I can't believe this, and then millennials, where it's like, I don't know, it's kind of interesting, the technology is there, it's disruptive in some ways. Gen yeah. Z is open to it, right, as for totally. all the reasons you mentioned, and I can see that as you this moves along even further, it'll so, sort of be like, who cares? I mean, at least in the younger adults that I talk to, the attitude I'm getting is they're like, yeah, but like, I'm already spending time with what I might already be bots and virtual right. characters. And does it really even matter if there's a person behind him? At, at Disney World, I saw that they have this patent going on where they're basically repl- they're where instead of like all the people dressed up in costumes, it yeah. might just be robots. And at the end of the day, who cares no. if you're acting with a person in a costume or if it's a robot in a costume? Is it just the character and the output at the end of the day? Sure. And that's kind of what this makes me think of.
2: Yeah. You know what else is funny? I was thinking about just kind of like hearing their posture towards this and the way that they talk about it. It also is very reminiscent to me of the way that they talk about privacy online. Mm. Like this idea that like I understand that people are worried about it, but like I I get something from sharing my data. So like I'm not that worried about it. Like it, it's almost like the same thing where it's like, yeah, it's kind of weird, but I still want to engage with it. So like, does it matter exactly what you're saying? Does it matter at the end of the day? So interesting.
1: Certainly for young adults, they're asking that question. For parents and for brands, though, it's, it deeply matters to them. And I can't wait to see how, this thing, how all of this plays out.
2: Yes, yes. We definitely need to follow up on that. Uh, and I know, Clint, you had something that you had seen around the secondhand market in fashion. Did you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, secondhand is, as, as a concept in fashion isn't new. It's been going on, obviously, for a long time. But there were there, there is something that's happening right now. Uh, if, if Okay. Fa- go back in time uh, to the 2008 2009 crash, and there were some secondhand companies that came out of that. The uh, companies like ThreadUp and Wish and Poshmark, you know, companies you're, you're probably familiar with mm-hmm. that were all around this secondhand goods. And now, after spending time in market and building their brands, they're all I saw that they're all going for an IPO, which says that they believe in this moment, obviously coming out of 2020, there is a new, there's a renewed interest in. Consumerism. Oh yeah. And what I saw was that in two thousand nine, secondhand goods made up like three percent of closet space is how they mm-hmm. were listing it. But by twenty twenty nine, they anticipate will be closer to seventeen percent of goods will be secondhand. Holy now that's heck. a that's a revolution. That's like a change yeah. in consumerism, right? And I think, you know, there's the climate change initiatives that are along with this, and obviously this is all being driven by young adults. What yep. do you think of that?
2: Yeah, I'm so fascinated by this because I also think we've seen just even more platforms pop up. Like I hear so much about Depop from the people that I talk to. Um, And I think there's like exactly what you're describing. I think it absolutely has to do with cost and the idea of sustainability. The other thing that I think is really interesting about this, though, that I think people don't talk about a ton is the idea of like really unique product. You know, like if, if I am shopping at a... A store that is a national, you know, has stores all over the country. I am more likely to encounter product that everyone else has. But if I'm shopping online and it's thrift and it's something that you know someone else picked up elsewhere and it's older, then it has this like very unique feel to it that I think really, really interests Gen Z. So and that's... has a
1: story to it. Right? Exactly. Like, oh like yeah. It's, someone's used it. It's lived a life. It has something. It has, in some ways, more meaning when it's come from a person versus a company or a brand, right? Oh, totally.
2: Yeah. And you know what else that I've seen, specifically on Depop, we've actually seen like influencers from Depop pop up. Have you heard about this? Uh, tell me where they're essentially like stylists now, but huh. people who got really great at curating what they were selling secondhand. And so then have become, have this following. And so it's a big deal if I buy a piece from so-and-so because I love her style and I wanna emulate her. Like their influencers are in their own right now, which I think is so fascinating.
1: Well, that is fascinating, especially and you wonder what these companies are doing with that. Because I know like Wish, for example, they target, you know, like most brands are like targeting like high end, like people with money. They actually target the bottom twenty five percent of U.S. income of a household. So, like if you make like I think it's like thirty one thousand or lower, you're in the bottom twenty five percent, and that's actually who they target. But now you see like these influencers, just makes like a, has like a premium feel over top of this. I wonder if like they, they're probably just loving this because now they're not just now you get in the bottom twenty five percent, but maybe like the top twenty five percent as well. Oh yeah, or at least the middle of it.
2: Yeah, and we've even seen platforms emerge that like take the same thing that these platforms were doing and make it a little bit more high end like the real real if you've ever heard about that they're like mm-hmm. exclusively luxury high end brands so it it's so interesting to me that we're seeing like those brands now emulate what these kind of bottom up brands were doing like fashion is definitely taking note of that and it's it's changing for sure
1: and now it's I mean, there'll be a cool factor that comes along with this so that when oh, yeah. you get a $4 luxury watch, which you can get on these sites or like a $12 engagement ring before that was almost like shameful. But now it'll be like, yeah, it's shameful to, to waste the money, to be a, to be heavy into consumerism and this yep. will have like a, a new edge to it, I think.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. So you had written down something here about fact checking. Tell me what it is you were yes. thinking about with us.
2: So this became a topic of conversation, particularly right after the election. Um, And we're seeing it now just like I feel like everyone is kind of contributing to this conversation right now. But obviously Twitter unveiled kind of this new feature where if someone who has a very high profile tweets something that is not necessarily founded by evidence, things that we're seeing supported by data, they will put some sort of label on that. It could be that the tweet itself kind of disappears and they put a warning over it that says like, hey, just so you know, the tweet that you're about to consume if you click into this isn't necessarily built on evidence. Um, Or they might just put like a little thing at the bottom that says, you know, This is you might want to learn more about this, essentially leading people to do a bit more research on what that person is saying. Um, And we've seen, especially in like the last week, two weeks, a lot of these messages popping up on Donald Trump's Twitter. Um, (laughs) But but really the I think the big question that people are asking is like, is this somehow holding back like taking away our right to free speech like if you are is this editing essentially is this editing what our leaders are telling us um and if so does that violate those amendment rights um and it's so interesting because it's just like such a back and forth it it feels like a very tense topic so
1: and it probably won't go away in the next four years it's only going to continue to increase because it's like on the one hand you understand they have the like people have the right to i don't know be dumb is that appropriate like yeah you, sure. you can say the wrong thing and um yeah. and now it's like and and people will correct you but now you're having platforms do that and yeah, I don't know to me it's like I don't know where they draw the line uh, exactly you know to a, what's a, to what's wrong and what's uh, a lie to which is just like stuff in the gray area to like how do you start to get around that? I mean I can see this this is going to be a huge topic of, of debate coming
2: yeah, I think so too. And I think I was thinking the other day about it and I was like, man, it's kind of interesting too to me that it almost took us this long to get here because of social media, but the more I thought about it, I was like, particularly particularly through the eyes of Gen Z, there I feel like they're the first generation to really get their, That's where they get their news. Like Twitter mm-hmm. is news to them. And so there's uh it's harder for them to differentiate, you know, if they're getting their news straight from just what people are saying um it's a little bit harder for them to understand exactly what they should be taking to heart and what they shouldn't. So yeah, it's been interesting to hear them talk about it as well because I can hear the struggle in how they talk about it as well. They, you know, it's kind of like they're, they, they do see a hard line. They see like hate speech is not protected by our first amendment. So therefore that's where they see the line. Um, But it is, it's such a gray area in my mind. So it'll be interesting to see how that conversation plays out.
1: We trusted media uh, growing up to be the fact checkers, to be the filter in between. And now that they are being removed as the filter, the platforms are being forced, I guess in this case, by young adults to step in and be that filter. And I think the same concerns that we in other generations have about media, it's only natural that that eventually will come uh, about social platforms as well.
2: Yep. Yeah. It's fascinating. Can
1: I bring up this next one? Yes. Okay. I'm sure you saw this. Warner Brothers movies, they are going to co-release all of their movies in 2021, yeah. both in theaters and on HBO Max. This is bold.
2: Yes. This is so what do you bold. Think? I, think, I think this is going to become just like the way things are from here on out, honestly. I would be surprised if other major platforms don't follow suit. What do
1: you think? Well, I always thought it was ridiculous that you had to wait, like, whatever it was, like 180 days to see a new release finally back on your, you know, at home. It always was like, it always felt too long the way that it is, but I don't know if, like, Zero days is the answer either. I wonder if there'll be a reckoning along the way. And it's all going to have to come down to young adults. They're going to essentially vote with their dollars. Like literally, they're going to vote to go to theaters and they're going to say, no, this is how we want to consume movies like Dune and Matrix 4 and Space Jam that are all coming out. Um, Or they'll say, nah, that's an antiquated form of entertainment and we actually just want to, you know, uh, at home.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think it'll be interesting because I know the last time we talked, we were talking about kind of the experience of being in the theater, which I think definitely still holds Mm
1: -hmm.
2: value. But the other thing I was thinking about is like it is kind of it's very non Gen Z for them to like look up when the time of a movie is, figure out what fits with their schedule and then go to a place versus just like I feel like watching this movie right now. And so I'm yeah, gonna...
1: which, and like, which theater even is? Yeah, where is exactly. That at? Which one is and then... close
2: and which one has the right times? Like, I just feel like that's not how they engage. So I wouldn't be shocked if they elect to stay at home.
1: All right. Well, I know you and I are both very excited about this next guest that we have. Who do we got?
2: Yeah, we have Elle Kalish calling in. She is the Director of Communications for the Gen Z GOP.
0: So first off, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk to all of you. Um, I'm kind of currently running between meetings right now, so I have my mask on, just so you all know. Um, And so, yeah, my name is Gabrielle Kalish. I am a senior at American University in Washington, D.C. I'm originally from Antioch, Illinois, which is a super small town right on the border of Illinois and Wisconsin. Um, I like to say that there's more cows than people, um, and so that kind of, you know, has paved kind of who I am and what my career aspirations were, um, which led to a lot. And so I'm communications director for Gen Z GOP, which is an organization that is targeted to create a coalition of young people that want to change the path and future of the Republican Party. Um, Because we understand that the current Republican Party right now is not at all inclusive um, and isn't something that appeals to young people. And so we drastically want to change that. Awesome.
2: Thank you so much for that background. Um, And I didn't realize you were from the Midwest, too. We are also. I am. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Where are you guys from? (laughs) Yeah, I well, right now I'm in Portland, Oregon, um, but I am from Nebraska, which is where Clint is at right now, which uh, Clint, our CEO. I'm, uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm holding the fort down here in Lincoln, Nebraska
2: yeah that's awesome that's big midwest gal love it (laughs) yes well i'm curious you said that kind of informed like your your journey into what you're doing right now i would love to hear a little bit more about your journey to becoming even just a member of the gop like when did you kind of know that that was the party you wanted to affiliate yourself with
0: yeah absolutely um and i think that's a question that you know i still ask myself now Um, You know, there's a lot of times where I ask myself, is it worth it? Is this something I want to attach my name to? Is this something that I want to be equated to? Does this name match my ideology? Um, And the answer is sometimes yes. And, you know, other times that answer is a strong no. Um, And, you know, how I became a member of the GOP, you know, gender GOP as well, is that I grew up. In an area where people are very much so politically disenfranchised, um, and not in the sense where you know they're actively being suppressed, so you know anything like that, but the economic downfall of 2008 and recessions before that, and you know things that we've seen recently, these people haven't recovered from, um, and so you have a lot of people that are just angry with politicians and reject the idea of government uh, and all of these things for the sake of being just so upset. Um, And so, you know, as I'm like living through all of this, I think when I was younger, I, you know, looked at my two options and I saw one party that talked about the problems that I cared about. um, And I saw another party that didn't talk about those problems, but I didn't find that the mechanisms that the democratic party was pitching to me were necessarily something that I believed in or could get behind. While I understand that we have the same priorities um, and the same acknowledging the problems, you know, that's where I was, you know, uh, I guess the best way to put it, that's how I viewed the, the Democratic Party in the sense of their priorities and what they're solving match up to what I believe. Um, But the way of getting there and solving those problems, I don't believe in. Um And that was really, really frustrating. And, and I think that left me without a political home for a while. Um, So, you know, I would like to say that I've had a wide range of experience. Um I've worked for Republicans and I've worked for Democrats. Um And, you know, I get a lot of pushback on that. Sometimes people can be like, well, how can you call yourself a Republican or a member of the GOP if you've worked for Democrats and all these different things? And I think it's this idea that your political ideology changes over time. Um, and as you get more educated or as you, you know, gain life experience, things change. Um, and so moving to D.C. and, you know, going to all these classes and being on the Hill and you know, getting all this new job experience, it truly did cement for me that ideologically I am a conservative. Um, But in practicality, in what the party looks like right now, is it necessarily something that I relate to? So becoming a member of the GOP is likely what I have been my entire life. Um, But I've struggled to call myself that because it doesn't reflect something that I think it is at its ideological core. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, how I became a member of the GOP in general is understanding that I'm a big civil liberties person and I am a big small government person and I'm a big fiscal responsibility person. And, you know, all of these things that I care passionately for. And I think that we should be talking about when we're talking about climate change, when we're talking about healthcare, or things like that, but that doesn't happen when the party is distracted with everything else in terms of hateful rhetoric and, you know, deciding or denying climate change up until a few months ago, you know, all of these things. And so that, was frustrating. Um, and so I had to look myself and say, OK, well, like ideologically, I'm a member of the GOP. Practically, I guess I'm somewhere else. Um, and that's fine. And then I realized, OK, so if I'm feeling this way, I bet you a lot of other people are feeling this way. And how many young people consider themselves Democrats or consider themselves independent when in reality they have a conservative ideology, but they just don't want to attach their name to it? Um, And that's a big problem. (laughs) Yeah,
2: that was something I was going to ask you about, is I was curious if you because I feel like we've encountered so much rhetoric around the idea that Gen Z in particular is the most liberal generation we've seen. Oh, my gosh, that
0: that is a huge media talking point. It's like the saying of, you know, Gen Z is the most liberal and most democratic generation that we've seen. And, you know. Maybe yes, in terms of like what issues we find important, you know, by wanting everyone to have equal rights and caring about criminal justice reform and caring about having a planet that we're going to live on in the next 20 years. Um, You know, all of these things, like, yes, that's true. Um, But, you know, what the Republican Party has done hasn't done anything to kind of stop that rhetoric in the sense is... In order for people to you know, realize that there's both sides, the other side has to acknowledge that those things are important. So we can either keep calling these issues liberal or we can just say, no, these are issues that maybe we should fix for the sake of having a party in the future um, and also having just a better country. Uh, and so, yeah, people love to say, you know, Gen Z is super liberal and its idea of I think Gen Z right now has just very different priorities than the people that we've elected to represent us in Congress. Um, and that changes, you know, what people consider to be party affiliation or, you know, the scope of the party, but that doesn't change your ideology. Um, so it's something I say all the time that like politicians do not define your ideological beliefs. Um, and this idea that, you know, the, Repu- the, the politicians that are representing your party now are what defines your party is in some way true, um, but it does not define who you are ideologically. So, you know, with me, it's like in the sense of I've worked for Democrats and I've worked for Republicans. I've tried to align myself with work that reflects my ideological belief um, and not just some silly label. Mm, Yeah,
2: absolutely. You're kind of touching on something else I wanted to ask you, which was just like, I'm curious if you've encountered, even with your peers, other people who identify as maybe more liberal or Democrat, do you encounter questions about your choice to affiliate yourself with the gop like what are those those questions or those conversations you're having with other people
0: yeah so i mean all the time um and i don't want to make it sound like oh i'm oppressed because i consider myself of the gop like that's not true and that's not it um but it is in this idea and i, I it's not my fault um and, you know and it's not the people that asking these questions fault it's in the sense of when you have a party that, you know, refuses to acknowledge issues, you know, all these different things, people assume. And so when I call myself, you know, a member of the GOP or say that I'm doing work with Gen Z GOP, my friends' reaction was, L, but you're not racist. L, you believe in climate change. L, you have friends that are gay, you know, like all these different things. And it's like, yes, um, and I believe all of these things you know like the same way you do the same way that you're passionate about this is the same way that i'm passionate about it we just simply don't agree on the route to get there Mm. um and so i personally like when people ask me questions i like having that conversation i like sitting down and having people challenge me on what i believe or asking me hey i don't know many republicans that actually have republican alternatives to climate change can you explain those to me yeah like for sure um because a lot of the time is you have to understand that you have to hear the other side to be able to kind of make a legislative impact or try and fix the problem. Um, and so, you know, my friends, even if they are angry at me, you know, at first, and they find out, getting past that 30 seconds of uncomfortableness is worth that conversation and the growth that we're going to have as a result. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> I get That's pushed so back all of the time. Um, I take it in stride. Others yeah. don't. Um, and I think there's days where I get really sick and tired of it um, in the sense of it's like, no, I'm, I'm not a bad person. And I, I promise. But then that simply just reminds me of if I feel like this in general, that means that I have to reform the party so that there can be a future where these things don't happen. Um, you know, there's no salt. There's no getting rid of people assuming that you don't believe in climate change and assuming that you're racist without fixing all of the reasons why people think that you don't believe in climate change and that you're racist.
2: That's such yep. a great perspective,
0: Clint. Did you have a question?
1: Yeah. So I, there'll be people listening to this podcast who are going to be like, "Wow, I, I can't even believe you found a Gen Zer who has who would affiliate themselves with the GOP." And I'm mm-hmm. curious, as you've described it, as you go out and about, um, with, with among other peers uh, of Zers, is do you find that you're in the minority, or after you get through a conversation, do you realize actually we all have the same priorities? We're actually all on the same page here. Uh, as you said, you know, we, we may go about it differently. But do you find that y- there are a lot more people who think like you than than was being represented in media?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a thing, too. And I think that we there's a lot more coverage of it on the Republican side than there is on the Democratic side. But, you know, there is a bunch of Gen Zers that are going increasingly, increasingly angry with, you know, the Democratic Party as well, whether that's that be because they think that the Democratic Party is going too left, or if they think that the rhetoric, you know, in terms like defund the police and all of these things aren't things that they want to be doing. Um, ter- you know, so there's equally that resentment, um, I think, from Gen mm-hmm. Z in general. I think right now, you know, overall, Gen Z is on the same page. Um, and so, yes, I have found so many people that also think similarly the way that I do. But I think you know a big part of that is the fact that you have to have those conversations, and we've gotten to a point where we can't really have those conversations, Um, and that's really
1: sad. Where where can you have those conversations? I was just thinking about like where's the safe space uh, to talk about GOP matters and where people feel like they can share their opinions without being instantly labeled racist, as you had had mentioned. Like where where does that happen?
0: So I don't think there is one. Um, and I, you know, I think that, you know, Gen Z likes to use Twitter or, you know, all of these different things like that to get our opinions out there and, you know, have this discussions. But I don't think that there's like a safe space where people aren't going to have those preconceived notions. Um, and so, you know, that's why an organization like Gen Z GOP, um, is so important because it's getting there to that space. Um, you know, I think, like, in, In September we held a town hall on conservative climate change action right and I got a bunch of my friends to come because I invited them on Facebook and then bribed them with pizza if they went to the event Um, but it was one of those things that after you know they went to the event they were like hey actually I really like these ideas or you know we agree on this Um, and so you have to have that first feeling of uncomfortableness Or sometimes you just have to take the hate that you get. And I wish that that wasn't the case. I wish that there was, you know, some crazy, or not some crazy, but some safe space where we could, you know, look each other in the eye and have these conversations and say, okay, you know, here's what I believe um, without someone judging me first. that it, It starts with the people that are around you. So, you know, me being able to sit down with my friends and my classmates makes my classmates and friends that I had conversations with who felt similarly, feel like they can have those other conversations with their friends and their family. Um, And so, you know, it's all about starting that. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's why organizations like Gen Z GOP are so important, or like the American Conservation Coalition are so important, is because they start these conversations, and then they give you things to talk about. Um, Like, we just released a platform, right? And I sent it to all of my friends, you know, asking for feedback. I want feedback from Mm -hmm. my friends that are more conservative for me. And I want feedback from my friends that are more uh, liberal than I am. And so, you know, and I got that. And everyone said, hey, this is actually something that I could get behind. Or, hey, like, you know, if this is the Republican Party platform, like, things would be way different. Um, And so it's about knowing where to go and knowing where to go when you have those conversations too. Um, So it's like, what can I say when someone says, okay, well, the Republican Party doesn't believe in climate change. You know, how, like, what are some resources that you can have to where you know what conservative climate change initiatives are? Um, And so it's all about that, but that takes a lot of work. Um, And I think we're going to get there. And I think that that's what's really cool about our generation at the end of the day is we're more connected than ever. Um, And as much as, you know, we can be more hypercritical than ever as well. I think it's that, we want to understand our friends and we want to understand the people that we are in our communities and all of these things. Because at the end of the day, at the root of all of these arguments is preserving humanity. Um, and that is important for Gen Z. And I think that we will continue to have more of these conversations because if there's one thing we know for sure, it's that Gen Z isn't lazy and Gen Z isn't quiet either. Um, yeah. So we're gonna make a lot of noise until it's normal.
1: Let me follow up on that. So understanding that you probably do work with people in who are senators and who are Congress people or people who work in the white house. I'm just curious, like did, how do they look at your organization or at this generation? Like what's the treatment like? Do they listen to you? Do they, you know, pat you on the head and say, thanks, thanks for that. Or are they like engaged? I'm just curious. Right. What the, what that's so like.
0: something that I love to say all the time is that, you know, it's the grand old party and that old part is really hurting us right now. <laughs> Um, And so, you know, it's that sense of there is a generational difference um, in some of the issues that we find important. There's also a generational difference in the issues that we find important. Um, And also in the way that we talk about our issues, the way that we use social media, the way that we talk to each other, you know, the way that we do school, all of this stuff. It's all very different. Um, And so you can't expect someone to simply accept what you have to say because you want them to. Um, And so you know that's something that I really empower our generation to do is not only say, hey, you need to listen to us, but give a reason as to why. And so right now it's, hey, you need to listen to Gen Z. And not only do you need to listen to us, but we have the answers to problems like climate change. Like, let us help you. And so I think when you have that approach of, look, I understand that we're not on the same page, but we can be, and I'm here to help you do that and not slight you in doing that then the response becomes a lot better. Um, but, you know, it's a thing that people are apprehensive to change um, and people are apprehensive to new people coming in and saying, I'm right, I'm the person that you need to listen to. Um, and well, with that, with, so with that we have mind, gotten that response as well.
1: With with that in mind, what's your hope for the next four years? It looks like we're going to have uh, looks like Biden's going to be in. And so where does that lead you in the organization and this whole movement?
0: So that leaves us in, I think, a good place. Um, you know, looking at the results from this election, we can understand that truly moderate, like being a moderate won. Um, in the sense of, we saw a ton of ticket splitting between the national election and local elections, in the sense that, you know, we did not lose, the Republicans did not lose a single majority in a state legislature Legislature, um, actually gained in the house. And so nationally, The result was, you know, that the Republican Party lost. Um, But when you look at the other gains, in the sense of, you know, even the fact that there still might be a majority in the Senate, you know, all of these things, it's it's good to me. You know, every new member of the House of Representatives from the Republican side is either a woman, a veteran, or an immigrant, Uh, and many of those people being like multiple of those things, and that's really cool. Um, and so that's what's exciting for me in the next four years is watching that transformation happen, watching that new face and seeing where that goes. Um, and I hope that under this administration that we truly can get to some sort of unity, that we can get to some sort of bipartisanship. Um, and that's exciting for me because that does mean that we have to come to a consensus on issues like healthcare reform um, and issues like immigration and issues like climate change, you know, all of these things, That's what it, that's what is exciting is that opportunity for getting back to work Um, and getting to this place where we can talk to each other and find our consensus, even if we vastly disagree on how we should solve the problem. Um, And I think that that is exciting in the next four years.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know we only have a couple more minutes, so we just have a couple more questions for you. But I'd be really curious as we start thinking about the next four years, obviously, there's going to be some younger people within your generation who are kind of coming of age during this time, who are starting to think about who they are politically. I would love to hear, like, what advice, I guess, would you give them in in how they are finding their way and figuring out what they believe? What would you tell them?
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of times your gut is right. Um, But also that, you know, when deciding what your ideology should be, it should be what your gut is saying and not what someone else's gut is telling you. Um, So people telling you that you can't be a Republican because you're a bad person you shouldn't listen to. um, And people telling you that you're crazy for being a liberal is something that you shouldn't listen to. um, And when your parents try to tell you what to believe, you also shouldn't listen to that. Um, You just need to kind of sit down and say, okay, logically, how would I solve this problem? And then when I'm solving this problem, what parts are more important to me? um you know because i think you know, that that's vastly different in the sense of are you concerned with preserving the size of the government or what does that look like um and so these are all questions that kind of get thrown to the side when the conversation comes between you know our rhetoric and what we're seeing on social media and all of these things and just idea when you're deciding your ideology it's your ideology and it's what it means to you it's not what it means to everyone else it's not a party affiliation that like ideology is different than politics um, and ideology is different from partisanship Um, and your ideology doesn't change in the sense of your ideology doesn't change because there's a new senator in town but your ideology can change over time and it's okay and to be able to have a sound ideology you have to have conversations with people you have to understand the way that the other side thinks in order to be able to have your own opinion. And if you can't sit down with someone from the other side and you can't defend the way that you believe, then there's a reason for that. And that probably means that you shouldn't believe that. Um, And so when you're making your own ideology, just be true to yourself because you have to do what you need to do in order to have a signed ideology and do that by being yourself um, because it's yours and it's with you forever. So make the changes that you you see fit, um, but also listen to yourself and stand up for yourself and don't let someone tell you what your ideology is.
1: I I got one more and I know we're at the (laughs) end, but I have to ask this. There's a lot of brands getting involved in politics now, a lot of companies and that's Mm -hmm. new. And I know that Gen Z does support, they want to support the brands that support their causes. Give me your perception on this. Is this a good thing? What are your feelings on it?
0: So I haven't really thought about this a lot. Um, I know I think think it's something that we talked about a lot when the election happens. Like, so, so for example, like I love, pizza it's called and pizza here in dc and it's like super good and all of the boxes like vote was on the thing and they were doing all these things and it was all like this get out to vote effort and i was like oh my gosh if one more person tells me to vote i'm gonna like absolutely lose it um because you couldn't go on twitter you know all these things about people trying to sign you up and although that's annoying at the end of the day i'm glad that people do it because it increases voter registration um in terms of a brand telling me that i need to have a specific party affiliation i don't really love um, in the sense that I think that a lot of those are made again on assumptions and on what happens you know socially within the parties um, and not what ideological beliefs are. And so I think that that can be upsetting. Um, what would you
1: tell what would you tell a brand who feels the pressure from their from their target audience to get involved in issues what 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 advice would you give them?
0: Getting involved in an issue is very different than getting involved in politics. Um, And if an issue is actually important, you should be able to take a stance without having to politicize it. Um, And as a company, you you can use your influence in many ways. And I think that if you use your influence and your resources targeted towards fixing an issue instead of trying to change people's minds politically, you make a lot more success.
1: Well, that is great advice. And I think we can end right there on that. Hey, thank you so much for your time. If if somebody, look, we have a lot of listeners. If people want to get involved in your organization, what should they do?
0: Follow us on Twitter at GenZGOP.org, or go to our website, which is GenZGOP.org, um, and that should send you to our Join Us tab. We're always down to here and get more people involved, um, and we would love to have you.
1: Awesome. Well, I know I have learned a lot. Julia, you? Yes,
0: absolutely. Thank you so much. This of has been course. awesome. Of course. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Elle. Julia, I feel like we covered a ton today. Yes. I'm sure we got more, but we're going to save that for next time. But before we go... You know what we like to do, Yes. let's do some predictions. What will Gen Zers be talking about next week?
2: I think since we're getting close enough to the holidays, there's gonna be lots of discussion and like memes around how like holidays are happening different this year. The creative ways that people are finding to like get in Mm. the festive spirit in ways that they normally wouldn't. What
1: about you? Okay, I think, okay, I think what we're, you know, Spotify released their rap. We talked about that in our last podcast. Uh, we're starting to see everyone else come out with their end of year versions of that. I think it's going to get to a point where people are go, they get annoyed and then they get a little worried about, about this data. Like, okay, actually you are starting to learn too much about me. And I think we're going to hear about the privacy thing pop up. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this one. Thanks to Julia and Elle and really to everyone who's helped us put this show together the last couple of days. You can find more in-depth articles on our insights and a whole bunch of great stuff, all trend-related, on ourtribal.com. I'm Clint Runge.
2: I'm Julia Peterson. And we'll see you in two weeks.
1: Bye.